Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. How do you all feel about the word disciple? Does it do anything for you? How about the idea of being a disciple? Do you think of yourself as a disciple of Jesus? Or better yet, how about the idea of making disciples? How comfortable are you with making disciples? While the language isn't completely reserved for church, it definitely has picked up several churchy layers throughout the centuries, so I thought we could spend some time with it this morning. Ever since Easter, we've been reading post-resurrection appearances. Right? We've been reading stories of the post-Easter Jesus meeting up with his disciples and friends, and today we'll read one final one. Eventually, you see, it came time for Jesus to return to God, and we often call that moment the ascension. And in Matthew's account of the ascension, Jesus gives the disciples one last challenge. It's a farewell speech of sorts, and we often refer to these parting words as the Great Commission. So we'll read them together for Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the scene is set. All the disciples have gathered on the mountaintop, and even after 40 days of sorting it out, it appears that that at least some of them still don't know what's going on. They don't quite know what to make of the whole God, Jesus, dead, but still alive thing. And so when Jesus appears to them on a mountaintop, we read that some worshiped, while others still doubted. And I draw attention to it because it's, it's easy to put the disciples on some sort of superhuman faith to move mountains box or pedestal but it's just not always true or fair. Sure, some worshiped and others doubted. And if they're anything like the rest of us, a couple months later, they likely traded seats. And some found themselves in a season of worship while others struggled with their doubts. And I love that Matthew doesn't dish on their names, right? Or single anyone out, but he includes it to remind us that the disciples are human, 
They all had different reactions to this mountaintop moment of standing with Jesus. And then to this mixed crowd of disciples, these super normal humans, Jesus speaks. He says, go. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Of everyone, 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 baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very ends of the age. And so that's the thing to do, to go and make disciples. But what, what does that mean? What does that look like? Are we making disciples right now? Is confirmation and all of the lessons a, a disciple-making opportunity? Merriam-Webster's first definition of a disciple is one who accepts and assists in the spreading in spreading the doctrines of another. Now, parents, before I get any concerned looks, don't worry. Confirmation is not about making your kids accept and spread doctrine. There are places, maybe, where that is, uh, that is exactly what's meant by disciple-making. Not always effective. Parents, again, even if you have adult children, how successful were you at ever making your kids do something against their will? You might be able to pull it off for a hot second, but as soon as you turn around, they're doing the exact opposite, just because you tried to put your foot down. Now, confirmation, we're not forcing anyone to accept or spread anything, but we are trying our darndest to make disciples. Let me explain. See, Merriam-Webster's definition of a disciple, as we said, it's picked up some layers of meaning over the centuries. And I genuinely don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he spoke those words, when he offered up the Great Commission. The vast majority of the New Testament is written in Greek, ancient Koine Greek to be exact. And the original Greek, before it had picked up all the stuff, the word that we translate as disciple is mathetes. And it simply means student, pupil, apprentice. At the time, one might have considered themselves a disciple of a particular teacher, a student of Aristotle, of Socrates. One might have considered themselves a disciple of a particular discipline, right? Same root word, a student of philosophy, a student of, of ancient history. To be a disciple was simply to be a student, a thoughtful and committed student. And I'll tell you, confirmands too, there was a time when I thought that the best students were those who were really good at, at memorizing and defending information, right? Accepting and spreading. People who could easily consume and regurgitate facts and data and definitions. And the reason I used to think that was because people with that particular skill set often test really high, right? They often get good grades, but over time I've come to realize that being a good disciple, 
a thoughtful and committed student is so much more than simply testing well and getting straight A's and cramming in material that you don't even find relevant. So I had to come up with my own definition of sorts. So here you go. A student or a disciple is a person with a lifelong disposition of curiosity, learning, and action. Still needs some work, I know. But I'll say it one more time. The best students and the best disciples, the best confirmands, are those with a lifelong disposition of curiosity, learning, and action. It's not how many answers you have, but how interesting are the questions you ask? It's not how concretized your beliefs are, but how open do you remain to learning new things from new experiences? It's not how many letters are next to your name, but how has your learning shaped the way that you interact with the world? And the implications is that the best teachers, rabbis, gurus are those who work to instill in their students a lifelong disposition of curiosity, learning, and action. And I'd like to say that that's exactly what what Jesus did with his disciples, at least how I read it. And and that's how I think we should approach, approach this. As I see it, there are three distinct features to Jesus' teaching style. He asked questions, he told stories, and he lived it out. Jesus loved to ask questions. In fact, there's a group of men at the church who are currently reading Martin Copenhaver's book entitled, The 307 Questions Jesus Asked and The Three He Answered. Jesus was constantly prompting people through inquiry. He was always encouraging people down their own path of questioning instead of, instead of ending their journey with one of his own answers. Jesus also told stories. In fact, I'd say the, the use of stories and parables in Jesus' teachings might be one of his most distinct features. He used images of of real world, real life things to draw people into an idea and yet never, like almost never, did he interpret those parables, right? He'd leave the crowd asking more questions. And finally, he practiced what he preached. Despite how, how people may use his teachings from time to time, none of it was intended to make you sound smart, right? It wasn't intended to inflate the ego of the students. The questions, the stories, the sermons were all intended to draw people deeper into real life, to shape the way we live out there. And so that's how we make disciples. That's what confirmation looks like at CUCC. We ask questions, we tell stories, and we do our best to, to live it out. And with that said, I thought it'd be fun to finish today giving you guys a real-life glimpse at a confirmation lesson. So here's how it works. We began the year by offering our confirmands a long list of questions 
interesting questions, and then together they voted on which questions they thought were most interesting, most worthwhile for our time together. It's a long list. Here's a list of the questions we began with. Can it be proven that God exists? Is God male? How can God be three in one? Does God still create stuff? Is the Holy Spirit a person or wind or fire or what? Who wrote the Bible, God or humans? Is the Bible true? Is the New Testament more important than the Old Testament? No. Why are there so many versions of the Bible? How was the Bible made and how did we end up with it? Was Jesus of Nazareth God? Did Jesus know he was God? Why did Jesus get baptized? Do I have to believe that Jesus performed miracles? Is believing in Jesus the only way to get into heaven? Can I be a Christian without going to church? Why should I follow Jesus? Can't I just say I believe in him? Why should I pray when God doesn't answer all my prayers? Why should I pray the Lord's Prayer? Do I need to pray every night? Why are there so many different religions? Why do Christians think Christianity is the best religion? Why are there so many different Christian churches? What if my friends aren't Christian? Is it okay to be angry with God? Why does God let bad things happen? Does revelations really describe how the world will end? What does God think about war? Did God really create everything like earth and space and galaxies? That was our starting list. There's some interesting questions in there. From this list, we voted and we narrowed it down to our favorites, to the ones we found interesting, and then we asked them. Through activities, discussions, short videos, we asked the questions, and not until we all agreed on the answer, but until we were ready to ask another question. So this morning, I have a question for you. One of the questions our confirmands chose to ask each other, and we're gonna do this live, together. I'm gonna ask the question, and then I'm invite you to turn to your neighbors and discuss it. And while I do this, while you do that, I'm gonna set up a screen and a projector, and I'm gonna show you one of the video resources we use to help us go deeper into this question. You guys ready for this? It'll be a little uncomfortable. It always is. So you're gonna introduce yourself to your neighbor, making sure to pull anyone in who isn't sitting by someone else, and have some fun with it. Take two or three minutes, and, and I'll say one more thing. I always start these discussions with our students, uh, reminding them that I don't care, I don't know, I don't feel comfortable talking about this right now, are all completely appropriate answers. You don't have to do or say anything. To learn, you do have to step outside of your comfort zone from time to time, but no one here is gonna make anyone do anything. So have some fun with it. 
All right, the question to ask each other is, can someone be a Christian without going to church? And you may have follow-up questions. What's a Christian? What qualifies as church? Who's this someone? It's all okay. So for just a couple of minutes, discuss amongst yourself, can someone be a Christian without going to church? Go. Sounds like some of you could keep going. I served you a nice question because obviously you're here and so you can feel good about yourself with that. Yeah, sorry choir, but the audio is going to be good. So if you can't see it, you still will be able to follow along. So now all the yeses move to this side. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do this, okay? Well, you guys can just get comfortable. So. Uh, Here's a fun video resource. If we did everything right, you should be able to hear it through the speakers. If not, we'll turn to your neighbors and keep talking and we'll, uh, we'll do this, all right? going to church? Have you ever been sitting in church and the pastor is talking on and on for what seems like forever and your back is getting tired and your butt is starting to hurt and your eyes are getting heavy and you start to wonder, what's the point? Why do people go to church? Do I really need to go to church to be a Christian? Well, it's pretty obvious that the church was never meant to be a place you go on Sunday to catch up on your sleep. Hmm? Huh? Oh, excuse me. But what was the church meant to be? Well, the short answer would be a community. But what's a community? A community is something that's been around since the dawn of time. Very early on, people realized that if they worked together and learned from one another, they were more likely to survive. Going it alone just wasn't a good idea. Uh, oh, could someone please invent a hospital? This has been the basis for all civilizations throughout history, forming communities that work together to take care of one another. When Christianity was starting out, things were pretty tough for Christians. A lot of people and even governments didn't like what Christians stood for, so a lot of them were persecuted and even killed. I'm gonna hurt you! So, it was incredibly important that the early Christians came together to support one another. Yeah, but that was then. I'm not being persecuted. True. The percentage of Christians being fed to lions has dropped significantly since then. But Christians are still being persecuted in many parts of the world. No, it's true. But even if no Christians were being persecuted, would that mean we don't need the church? That we don't need a Christian community? Hello? Christians believe that Christianity is all about relationships with each other and with God. That God intended for us to be in community. 
that we can learn about God and follow Jesus far better together than by ourselves. And if you look at the Bible, there isn't a single book written for just one person. Uh, for me? The whole Bible was written for people in community. So really, people of God have always existed in a community. Now, it's important to say that community doesn't mean that people all look the same or even believe the exact same things. In fact, it's vital for a community to embrace diversity and different perspectives in order to learn and grow together. And also, just because a group of people calls itself a church doesn't mean it's a functioning Christian community. There are churches where people physically gather together, but are not truly welcoming, loving, serving, and learning together. Which is kind of the point of being in a community. It's kind of the point of being a Christian. To be like Christ. To be there for each other. To love one another. To be the body of Christ. To be Christ for each other. Because the world is still a pretty tough place to live in. Loser! And everyone needs love and support sometimes. So you could go it alone. But it's not recommended. There was a little hesitancy in the applause. Don't worry, Sunday school for little kids, not that violent of movies. <laughs> Welcome to some of what we do at confirmation. Curiosity, learning, action, being a disciple, it, it can be fun. Asking good questions, it's, it's how we grow, it's how we learn. If you ask me, the world doesn't need churches to be vaults containing answers to all of life's hardest questions. The world needs churches to be a safe place where people can freely ask all of life's hardest questions. And so go be students, go be disciples, go and ask good questions, go and tell good stories, go live it and be it, and do it, and have some fun along the way. Amen.